Good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll preview the upcoming Manitoba Beef Producers Fall District meetings. Up first in today's country comment, we're joined by Dane Fraze with Manitoba Agriculture to discuss the final crop report of the season. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Joining us now is Dane Fraze with Manitoba Agriculture to discuss the final crop report of the season. A little bit of corn, a little bit of sunflowers left to harvest. However, we're about 96% harvest completion across the province. So we were largely done by the time these uh, heavy October rains have arrived. But farmers are generally still very pleased to see it, even though it was too late for the 2021 crop. Most of this moisture is slowly seeping in and recharging the soil bank for 2022. Any thoughts on the on the corn harvest, how things are going there? Uh, it's uh, continued in fits and spurts as folks are able to dodge some rain clouds and find some dry corn. Um, generally, yields have been lower than normal. We're seeing yields anywhere between 80 to about 120 bushels, typically averaging about that 100 bushel an acre mark. Uh, grain corn moisture varies between 20 to 25, 26%, although there are certainly spots where Corn has remained green and isn't drying down just due to the nature of the variety, how much moisture is in the soil, and uh, the fact that we haven't had a killing frost yet. With the year pretty much wrapped up here, just wanted to take a look back on uh, the 2021 uh, growing season. Let's go back to the start of the year and kind of talk about what uh, farmers were looking at heading into the uh, season. We had a lack of snow melt and a very dry start to spring, meaning that uh, many farmers got seeding earlier than normal, beginning in early to mid-April, well ahead of uh, the normal start for uh, seeding in Manitoba. However, that was stopped by a snowstorm towards the end of April, slowed things down a little bit, and we had cool, dry soils throughout much of spring, which delayed germination in many instances and slowed emergence out of the ground. When you have that uh, slow emergence coupled with cool conditions and not a lot of moisture to spur on rapid growth, uh, flea beetles became a, a persistent pest together with cutworms. So we saw a lot of damage in canola in particular and some cutworm issues in corn and soybeans and even some cereals. Um, so farmers were out in the field uh, fairly early on doing uh, insecticide application to save their canola crops from flea beetles. In some cases it wasn't enough and warranted reseeding. So there were quite a number of reseed claims this year. And that led to uh, a wide variety of canola crop development. So at uh, harvest time, we saw stuff that was anywhere from dead ripe or to six weeks out until harvest could even start, just due to the nature of the delayed spring. Now, that those delays became more exacerbated in every crop because we were faced with fairly extreme drought this year. Um, the Canadian Drought Monitor put most of Manitoba into a D3 to D4 category drought meaning extreme to very extreme, and as a result, um, crops suffered. And we did not have the rain in July during that critical growth window that we needed to see um, optimal yields. And as a result, crops developed quicker and were much shorter and had a condensed flowering period in many instances, leading to reduced seed set. So yields were down in virtually every crop. The only one that I'm seeing that has some, some really positive yields right now are in sunflowers, in fact, that are typically averaging above 2,000 pounds an acre, which is uh, very good, all things considered. That was Dane Fraze with Manitoba Agriculture, looking back on the 2021 growing season. We'll hear more from Dane coming up later on in the program. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. 
Good afternoon. I'm Corey Canute. More than 10,000 John Deere employees went on strike Thursday, affecting 14 facilities across the United States. Production and maintenance employees with the International Union, United Automobile, Aerospace and Agricultural Implement Workers of America have voted to reject the tentative collective bargaining agreements. Deere & Company does not currently have an estimate of when employees affected by the strike will resume activities or the timing for completion of negotiations with the UAW. Walmart Canada has announced that it'll purchase 1.5 million pounds of beef sourced from Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Beef, certified sustainable farms and ranches over the next calendar year. That amount will continue to increase each year. And Wasco is chair of the CRSB. It was a big announcement just simply because of the size of Walmart in terms of retailers here in Canada for beef sales. So a big commitment as well in terms of uh, what they've suggested uh, they're doing now, but also the intent to grow it year over year. So it looks like a certainly a, a big deal in terms of sustainable beef, certified sustainable beef here in Canada. Walmart Canada sources 100% of its fresh beef in Canada, supporting Canadian ranchers and farmers. And it was a tough year for Manitoba's oat crop. Jenneth Johansson is president of the Prairie Oat Growers Association. Well, we're hearing reports of production being down about 30 to 35 percent throughout the province compared to uh, the last five years. There has been some variability in uh, test weights and, and thins. There's been some higher incidences of thins. And due to the drought, there were some areas like the Inner Lake that were severely impacted, well above the, the 30-35% uh, reduction in production. One positive is the high price for oats that we're seeing on the markets. That was a look at today's farm news. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Eggwire for Friday, October 15th. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, we'll talk about Club Root with Autumn Barnes with the Canola Council of Canada. Joining us now to talk about Club Root is Autumn Barnes with the Canola Council of Canada. We have around, you know, 20 million acres, give or take, of canola in Canada every year. Um, in 2020, which is what we have the crop insurance numbers for Right now, I haven't been able to compile for 21 yet, but for 2020, we had about 40% of the varieties grown across the prairies um, carrying a club root resistant, resistance trait. Um, in Alberta, obviously, that percentage is a little higher. It just sort of, you know, spreads out throughout the province. And so what we'd like to see is every acre of canola having a club root resistance trait. Um, and we want to see that because we want to help keep club root spores low. Um, that'll help minimize the impact that club root has on, on our farms across the prairies. And talk a little bit about club root, uh, the disease, um, different areas of the prairies, what's been happening there? Yeah, so, I mean, in 2003, club root was first found in canola in the Edmonton area, and it's been spreading uh, kind of from that area ever since. Um, every year there's there's new cases and in areas where we think we might never, or some, some growers might think they might never have it, um, we we do find it. So in 2020, there were actually some fields around Swiss Current in Saskatchewan, which is a pretty dry area, you know, known for longer crop rotations, not a lot of canola um, in that area. Um, and so it's a good reminder that, that club root really can affect any acre. And it is hard to find, you know, if you're not actually going out and scouting and pulling plants and looking at the roots, you know, sticking to high, if you're in an area where there's not a lot of club root historically, you can be pulling plants from higher traffic areas like field entrances or maybe areas where there's been recent um, pipeline or exploration activity. And then also around wet areas is where you'd want to be pulling plants and looking for the roots. 
Just wanted to talk about some practices. Um, I guess first off, to keep spores low, um, can you run through some of those? You bet, yeah. So I guess first line of defense would be crop rotation. So we know that about 90% of club root spores will break down um, over with a two-year break. So that's a one in three crop rotation. So you want to have a minimum crop rotation of one in three for canola. Um, you want to be scouting every single year in every canola field, focusing on those high traffic or high moisture areas. Um, really important and kind of what this this real push around club root knowledge right now is about is about growing and stewarding club root resistance. So every single acre of canola should have club root resistance. Um, and that's because it's really hard to find these early infestations of club root. And so we want to make sure that you know, when the spores arrive, that we're not multiplying them really, really fast. So if you have clubbert spores arrive in a field and you're growing a clubbert susceptible variety, those spores basically turn a canola plant roots into little factories and they just multiply themselves really fast. So growing clubbert resistance on every acre is going to help us maintain low spore concentrations and, and really minimize the impact of that disease. And then finally, something that doesn't always get, um, you know, a lot of attention, but um, you want to control brassica weeds in all crops. So um, any any clubbird host weeds, so volunteer canola, stink weeds like sweet shepherds, shepherds, purse, mustards, like any of the brassica family um, can all multiply clubbird spores. And so what we want to do is um, make sure in any, in any year that we control those weeds nice and early. And then another thing we can do to keep spores low, which uh, one of the, infogra- or the infographics kind of talk about, is patch management, which is basically, you know, isolating the patch of clubroot in your field and managing it separately from the rest of the field um, to try and reduce the spores in that in that area and then also prevent them from spreading around from uh, to other parts of the field or to other fields. And a couple of um, strategies for keeping spores local uh, mentioned here, uh, one of those, uh, a biosecurity plan and um, reducing tillage. Um, can you comment on uh, those two items? Yeah, so biosecurity, um, I mean, sanitation, basically trying to minimize soil movement. We know that club root spores move with soil any way that soil moves, um, spores move. And so um, it would be really, you know, beneficial for every farm, every agribusiness to have a club root uh, biosecurity plan. So trying to limit, uh, you know, if you're a farm, limit the risk of foreign soil coming to your farm. And then if you're a business, limit the number of or limit the risk of you bringing club root on your equipment to somebody else's field. So that's that's what biosecurity is all about. You know, the livestock producers are pretty familiar with it, but we don't always think about it in terms of crop farming. And then the reduced tillage really is about reducing soil erosion. I mean, 2021 was quite dry. I would hope there's not a lot of tillage going on right now, although I am aware it, it does happen and, and it is happening in some areas. Um, but we know that tillage causes erosion, and, and erosion is soil moving, whether it's with water or wind. And remember, anywhere that soil moves, those spores are going to be moving too. So, you know, extra beneficial in dry years to be thinking about reducing tillage, but, you know, in any year, you know, from a clubbert perspective, reducing tillage, reducing soil erosion is really important. That was Autumn Barnes, an agronomy specialist with the Canola Council of Canada. Fall district meetings get underway this week for Manitoba beef producers. Here's Vice President Melissa Atchison. District meetings this year will run from October 19th to November 9th. We're going to be holding two virtual meetings for producers and their families who are located in our odd-numbered districts. Those meetings begin at 7 p.m. 
And there are seven in-person meetings for folks who live in our even-numbered districts where elections are required. And those meetings will begin at 1 p.m. What are some of the issues that will be touched on during the meetings? Certainly, we always talk about, um, you know, our financials for for producers. We want to be transparent with that. Uh, The district meetings are just a great opportunity for producers to visit, talk to their director and our staff, and see what MVP has been up to. Uh, They set the future path for our organization by proposing resolutions that will be taken to the AGM in February. Uh, This year we worked very hard on, certainly drought was first and foremost uh, on our file, as well as crown lands. Um, That's another big file we work on as well. Is there any uh, elections this year? Certainly, yes. The even-numbered districts will be holding elections this year, so those are where the live meetings will be held. If you don't know which district you're in, again, give the MVP office a call and they can help you out. We have got some rain here this week. Um, what is the situation like right now? The, the rain over the last couple of days has been welcome. Uh, we had a nice warm fall and a long fall so far, which was nice, but it was quite hot. So any of the pasture regrowth we've had from those rains in August was starting to get pretty dry again. I'm hoping this rain will is going to, you know, recharge some of the dugouts and give some of those pastures a much-needed boost in moisture. And how's the, the feed situation heading into winter? With the long fall that we had, that was very welcome, and people were able to graze regrowth on pastures and uh, certainly some regrowth on some annual cropland as well, which was very welcome. Um, right now, people are, you know, still procuring their winter feed supplies, so... We'll see how that goes, and I guess it depends on how uh, rough of a winter we're going to have. That was Manitoba Beef Producers Vice President Melissa Atchison. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening, and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Eggwire will return next week on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. The Canadian Food Grains Bank invites you to a virtual Singing in the Grain concert tomorrow night starting at 8. Go to their website for details. Manitoba Beef Producers Fall District Meetings get underway next week, October 19th. Go to the MBP website. CAP's Fall Advisory Council Meeting takes place October 20th via Zoom starting at 9 a.m., Go to the CAP website for details. Egg in Motion presents a post-harvest information session October 20th. Topics include storing grain options, winter equipment decisions, and more. Visit the Egg in Motion website to register. And Manitoba Egg X is set for October 27th to the 30th at the Keystone Centre in Brandon. Check the Provincial Exhibition of Manitoba website for up-to-date information. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Friday afternoon, joining us once again is Dane Fraze with Manitoba Agriculture to look back on the past year. Sticking with the drought, talk about the impact on uh, cattle producers, uh, challenging year for them as well. It certainly is. Um, forages were, were hit by a severe frost between May 26th to 28th that uh, really hampered regrowth. Uh, those perennial forages were trying to grow earlier on in the year, didn't have a lot of moisture, hit by a frost, which stunted and shortened a lot of them. So meaning those first hay cuts were abysmal for many cattle farmers and, and much lower than normal, generally 25 to about 30% of a normal cut. Fertilized stands tended to do better, but certainly not uh, a good omen for the rest of the year. And we weren't uh, given any more rain until about late August in, for, in, in most cases. And uh, regrowth was limited until after that date. So there was a very late second cut in some instances. Some places we even got a third. Just looking at, um, you know, fall tillage here, what are most producers doing here this fall? Uh, producers were concerned about moisture for the most part. However, um, old habits tend to die hard in some cases. 
and where fields were weedy or had uh, residue that needed to be dealt with, many farms looked at fall tillage instead of uh, conserving moisture and reducing tillage. However, other farms thought, well, it would be better to um, hold on to whatever moisture we did have and reduce tillage or reduced passes over the field just to maintain soil structure and to maintain residue cover on the surface to try and trap snow or any moisture that may arrive. Now, uh, we're still certainly in a, in a rotter deficit position, and we will need more rain to recharge the tank for next year, but we may see some differences where fields were tilled um, once or, or more times and uh, seeing what kind of moisture conservation those fields have compared to fields that are not. So in the Red River Valley, we're seeing less fields tilled than normal, but there is still a sizable portion. One issue that um, you know we talked about quite a bit later in the season here was uh, just some of the regrowth we saw in some of the crops and, and weeds. Um, uh, thoughts on you know what we saw there? Well, the regrowth was a little bit insult to injury. Um, we didn't have enough rain in the growing season to produce a substantial yield or, or, or yields that we were happy with. However, after seeing some August and September rains, coupled with warm growing conditions and unseasonably warm days, we got a lot of stress regrowth on canola, and flax, and some cereals in particular. And those canola fields certainly stood out seeing bright yellow blooming canola at the end of September. And those crops did, did tend to make it uh, harder to harvest if they were regrowing at the same time that ripe crop was ready to harvest, either a desiccation was necessary or swathing, something to uh, cut off that ripe portion of the crop and not have too much green material as dockage in harvest samples. So desiccation was much more uh, common this year than in years past, and in some cases it didn't even work quite as effectively, just given the um, actively growing nature of the plants, coupled with a large root system throughout the summer, and then uh, perfect growing conditions. Overall, I guess, Dane, overall thoughts on the year, you know, as we head, uh, head into next year? It's certainly a year that many farmers would like to put behind us. However, if we could take one thing forward, it would be the high commodity prices. I know many farms um, had locked in grain sales at lower prices and may have even struggled to fill commodity contracts. However, um, that will change, I think, for 2022, where farmers are, are feeling a little bit burnt from that and might not pre-sell quite as much and are looking to try and take advantage of those high prices wherever they can. However, in order to take advantage of those high prices, we would certainly like the yield to come along with it, and it might take a little more intensive management in terms of water conservation and crop choice for 2022. That was Dane Fraze with Manitoba Agriculture looking back on the past year. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. Time now for another look at today's farm news. The president of the Prairie Oat Growers Association says production was down about 30 to 35 percent in Manitoba this year compared to the last five years. Here's Jenneth Johansson. So variable because some areas, some pockets hit some timely rains, but there are other areas that just, they went 60, 65 days without rain, right? So um, we know oats, uh, they like moisture and they don't handle uh, extreme heat. So the extreme heat we had in July this year um, really, really took its toll on the crop. One positive is the high price for oats that we're seeing on the markets. And the chair of the Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Beef is welcoming the recent announcement from Walmart Canada. Walmart has announced that it will purchase 1.5 million pounds of beef sourced from CRSB Certified Sustainable Farms and Ranches over the next calendar year. That amount will continue to increase each year. Here's Anne Wasco. We continue to hear um, that uh, this is what consumers 
are asking for, or simply they're asking more questions about how beef is being raised and all those things in terms of the production parts of our sector. And so it shows that, um, you know, a retailer much closer to the consumer than, than we are as producers is, uh, is latching on to that message and, and going out to source beef to uh, answer some of those questions that consumers are asking. So I think that's a, a great signal for producers. Walmart Canada sources 100% of its fresh beef in Canada, supporting Canadian ranchers and farmers. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can join us back here on Monday starting at 12 noon.